0: All right, let's let some people kind of file in as we go. Wait a couple seconds and we'll get started.
1: I like JT's
0: little avatar. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a uh, uh, NFT they did for exclusive for uh, Lattice One
1: owners. Ooh, I should have gotten my Lattice oh, One. Is that the one that JT has? Yeah. Nice. That's yeah, cool like the, the physically generated nft that goes with like the actual hardware that's pretty interesting
0: totally and seeing it on that screen when you're doing it is like a
2: first
1: kind of first experience <laughs> oh it shows on the secure element screen that that's really cool right and then, like I was saying, we
0: can do the uh, – we'll touch on, like, the philosophical side and then, and then really unpack as far as we want if we don't end up with any uh,
1: comments or questions from the chat. That's great to me. Right, Just a couple of minutes, and we'll go ahead and dive in. JT, I hope you got a helmet on, because we're going to go fast and break shit.
0: All right. All right, let's go ahead and dive in, y'all. Uh, this is the EV Mavericks live panel discussion with the team behind Influence. Uh, thanks for all, thank you all for being here. Um, we've got, we'll go with uh, Darkos Nightmare,
1: Interweaver, and Etherway. Thanks for having
0: us. Great to be here. So let's dive right in. Um, You guys are the team behind the game Influence. Um, Can you kind of give us a quick overall on uh, the origin of the game and kind of the vision you guys are going into it with? Sure. Yeah. So um, I
3: I played a lot of uh, a game called Eve Online um, about – about a decade ago, which um, if anybody is not familiar with is a, it's an MMO um, and I think one of the the special things that, that it did and what it's known for is um, building like a massively social game where um, mm-hmm. you were very incentivized to play in large what they called corporations or alliances um, and the intention was, was basically to take over the galaxy um, and it was very compelling. Um, I, was, I was one of the founding members of, of Reddit's uh, corporation and then ultimately Reddit's uh, alliance, which was called Test Alliance. Spent a lot of time playing um, and had a lot of, uh, a massive amount of respect for people who spent even more time and effort playing and really um, made the universe. Uh, and, and it was one of the things that I really took away from my, my time playing Eve was how much value certain players bring uh to everybody else um and it always kind of stuck in my mind for you know the the intervening seven or eight years um it always felt like it should be possible for us to find a way to compensate those people like we compensate actors or artists or musicians that entertain us Um, and it wasn't until you know 2016 2017 when i was really getting into ethereum that i sort of the spark lit, and i realized like oh here's here's that that opportunity, here's the possibility for us to start to do that. Um, and over the next few years, uh, transitioning out of uh, roles I had previously had, I started out building building influence as this this game that is set in a uh, an alien asteroid belt, not alien in terms of little green men, but just not not our solar system. Um, and so the whole idea is that uh, about 150 years in the future, humans um, send off this generational ship. It gets thrown off course and reaches this system called dahlia and they, they realize that really their only salvation is to settle in the asteroid belt. Um, and ultimately, like, that's, that's our setting, uh, and the intention is that you spread you know, with friends in a very social way. Um, as organizations, you spread amongst the asteroid belt uh, exploiting the resources, building ships, building infrastructure, um, advancing that that infrastructure, technology, and ultimately, um, you know, resulting in conflict between between the asteroids. Um, and so, you know, I think the the really exciting thing that that blockchain has brought us is that possibility to deliver on that vision, and and also to deliver on a game that can we think live forever. And this is sort of the basis for our studios. Uh, studio being called Unstoppable Games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a short intro, but I'd love to get into it more.
0: Yeah, so I guess more specifically, you saw the community or, I guess, um, the, the vision of Ethereum community to kind of equal the, or uh, level the playing ground, I guess is a better way to put it.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think it, it's one of those things that, you know, games are historically very centralized. They're built by a single team. They're built by a developer that maintains control of that game indefinitely um, and ultimately has a decision to sometimes shut it down. Um, Frequently, you know, they make decisions along the way, uh, including shutting it down that are counter to the community's interest. And at the same time, there's really no way for those hugely value-added players to capture any of the value. And so I kind of see... We see Ethereum and and now Starknet as a way to, um, like you said, even the playing field and address those deficiencies.
0: Okay, and now you guys technically are implementing the game on Starknet, correct? And that's being written in Cairo. That's right. Yeah. So we are deployed on mainnet.
3: Um, we were deployed in uh, 2021 on mainnet, uh, L1. Sorry, on Ethereum and um, are now building on StarkNet in Cairo uh, entirely on-chain. So all of, the, all of the game logic will all on-chain. Any trades that you do in the in-game marketplace will be on-chain. If you fly your ship from Asteroid to Asteroid, that's on-chain. Um, and that's, that's our current, uh, current work in progress leading up to our first release, which is called
0: Exploitation. Oh, wow. So each of those decisions that you're making in the game, like you said, to go from one to the other, that is all being, essentially you can track all of that back on-chain? Yeah, absolutely. And I think,
3: we think it's really vital um, to kind of deliver on that vision of a game that it can't be shut off for it to be all on-chain. Um
2: because yeah, you know the yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Enjoy. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think, you know, a lot of the, the games that are being developed these days um, with the, you know, the sort of title of being on-chain or being blockchain games um, really just have NFTs. And then the rest of it is conventionally, you, you know, hear, yeah. has a centralized server that the, the game team runs. And and so what, what does really a, having a, you know, an unstoppable asset, an NFT mean in that context? You know, if, if the game that it goes with can be changed out from underneath it, like it doesn't really mean very much. And so, having all of the game mechanics, all the game logic, the game state, having that live on chain is actually we think a really important component of of a game that you know incorporates NFTs properly. You know, so that the meaning behind that NFT, the the thing that it gets you, the utility behind it, is actually on chain in, in smart contracts.
0: Okay. Now you guys said Starknet. Let's just back up one little step and kind of explain just like what starknet is like as a layer two and then why it kind of benefits you guys to to use starknet to build on yeah so
3: so starknet is a um a zk roll up in its current state um which means it, it uses zero knowledge proofs which it commits to layer one ethereum uh on a regular basis that Inherently, mathematically prove all the transactions that have occurred on on Starknet. Um, the distinction for, for Starknet versus some of the other uh, zk rollups that exist, like zkSync, um, is that it uses Starks instead of uh, SNARKs or Plonks. Um, pretty esoteric distinction, but there are some some benefits uh, of using. Starts uh, and, and we hope that they'll ultimately be the, the kind of leader in the space. I think they have been so far. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, the, the main intention here is, is, you know, how can we how can we build a game that's entirely on chain while still um, maintaining a low cost for players? Because you know, ultimately, no, nobody wants to play a game where they're having to pay uh, layer one type fees every time they want to, um, you know, mine some resources. Uh, so for us, it's all about being able to run these interesting computations on chain that, that underpin our procedural world, um, for cheap. Um, uh, and then ultimately with, you know, EIP 4844 or, or other data availability solutions, um, even have a, uh, a cheap way to store all that data or a cheaper way to store all that data. Um, so, so we're also really excited about its distinction versus optimistic rollups because in the case of a game where, you have so many non-fungible tokens versus, you know, fungible tokens. Um, there is no way to have instant withdrawals on Optimist rollups. You know, you, there's no pools on both sides of unique tokens. So being able to withdraw uh, an NFT with, you know, 30 minutes to a couple hours delay rather than that seven-day delay on Optimist scroll-ups was, was one of the significant uh, factors in us making that decision as
2: well. It's also a component there of the the sort of um, scaling properties of ZK rollups specifically as compared to optimistic rollups, right? The fact that you can take, you know, essentially an arbitrary number of transactions on that rollup and compress the execution costs of them down to basically a constant cost which is something you can't actually do, you know, in the context of say an optimistic rollup where that all those transactions still have to be sort of batched together. um, And it's the costs of those on layer one scale up the number of transactions. On ZK rollups, that's not the case. And that is sort of the, that's the thing that basically solves the blockchain trilemma. You know, that's the, the the reason that we can move fast that basic limitation um, is these that zero knowledge proof ability to compact compact those transactions and so that's why we chose StarkNet specifically is because it enables us to scale to the tens or potentially even hundreds of thousands of players that we really hope to have on influence one day
0: okay so it's it's unlocked your your scalability absolutely
3: and and i mean it's exciting too like from a computation perspective like Inter- Interweber was saying you know the computation can be sort of almost infinitely scaled um and what we're doing you know dynamic calculations of asteroid orbits on blockchain which like that's it's going to be impossible for us to do on l1 obviously um, And and using a zk roll up like starknet provides that ability to to really do a lot of interesting computation
1: which which i think is necessary for uh, for a game like ours to exist. Okay. So then,
0: uh, how are you guys going about like some of the problems in gaming, um, more so than just, uh, the computational scalability problems, but how are you guys kind of looking at how you're going to scale? Like to to for a lack of a better term onboarding people kind of into the space
1: oh well, that's
4: a that's a really good question um I've been i think thinking, that would be yeah yeah absolutely i've been thinking a lot about this and i think there's a few different levels to this question um, I think on one side
2: like we can't hear you at the moment. Um, I guess I could take a, let's, a stab at that though. In the meantime, Unless he gets his mic back, um, basically, yeah, we're we really want uh, for influence to be a game that that can actually bring people into into play who don't have any experience at all with crypto. Um, that's kind of a, a... Big challenge for sure. I mean, because of the need for a wallet, the need for having those private keys that you, you are able to protect and, and use to sign things. Um, but the, the solution that we're currently looking at, um, in addition to the usual Starknet wallets like Bravos and Argentex, we're actually looking at a solution um, called Cartridge. Um, and they are really cool, basically a, um, a tool that lets you sign up with a variety of different you know sign in mechanisms like you know the usual like sign in with google sign in with this or that with an email address um, the phone number lets you create an account very simply and you actually don't even think about you know private keys or seed phrases or anything um it allows you to keep those those sensitive pieces of information in you know a secure area of your browser and then when you sign in with cartridge it just you know it feels like a normal sign in for a game but behind the scenes all those um those you know crypto keys are are available to you and, and can be actually used you know as part of the game as, as if you know, as if you were uh, using a normal wallet. So we we were really excited for that that way to onboard people that hopefully will feel a lot more like a normal game game flow, and we're hoping that that will allow us to sort of start scaling into larger audiences that we wouldn't be able to access if we were just purely crypto native. Um,
4: yeah, uh, pro, uh, I still can't hear you either way. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, um, sorry. I think um, I think Interweaver and I can't hear each other. Yeah I think that I think that might be what's happening. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know as, as Interweaver Weaver had said, you know there's, there's some tools that are at, uh, at our disposal now that weren't here, um, you know. I guess a little bit ago in time, uh, time moved fast in in blockchain but um, I think this has a few different layers so you have uh, onboarding solutions which I think are tools that allow it easier for people to come into these types of games because up until recently Uh, Getting into a blockchain game was was not easy, and gamers are already weary of, you know, NFTs or blockchain type things, and so you really need to be able to put the blockchain in the background and the experience in in the foreground. Um, And and then, you know, the other side of it, too, for onboarding masses, because there are two billion plus gamers in the world, and and we have um, very little reach in blockchain so far with gamers, is that we need to uh, create games of, of quality that aren't scams, that, uh, you know, actually can prove themselves as, as good games. And then we also need to have uh, more and more content creators um, that, that are coming into this space and, and taking that, that risk of introducing these games to their audiences. Um, I think, you know, this is kind of three layers. So you've got tools, you've got games, and you've got creators and and we're we're pushing all three of them forward um specifically you know what i'm working on right now is is trying to create systems to uh, make it easy for people who have already always thought about maybe being a content creator um to to be able to do that and and set up systems that they can be rewarded Uh, and then there's also the side of things with tools which you know i'm just constantly talking with more teams to figure out Okay. Well, how do we implement, you know, on-chain chat systems because games need chat systems? How, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of different um, things here. So I could I could continue, but to just you know summarize it, yeah, it's it's definitely um, three pronged: it's creators, games, and, and tools, and and we are pushing forward for sure. Okay. So yeah, it sounds like
0: uh, lower the barrier to entry on all fronts, um, whether that's kind of streamlining the UX experience uh, so people don't have to actually think about signing transactions and, and wallet security and, and also just kind of creating, like you said, the tools for, for game makers or, or storytellers who want to get in, maybe who haven't been in the space but are, are looking from the other side of the fence, kind of wanting to make that, that leap. Yeah absolutely. yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think, I think there's,
3: there's sort of two, uh, two topics you touched on there. I think one being a kind of abstraction and the other, which maybe I'll just touch on first. Um, I, I think it's kind of interesting, like the creators that are looking from the other side into like how to get into, uh, you know, building on Web3. Um, and and I, I do think that these new tools are going to be very helpful uh, to kind of ease that process. But one thing I hope that it it does substantially ease is uh, is the ability to build in a decentralized manner. Because I think one of the things that we see, especially with games um, that that call themselves Web3, is that they are, in I think the vast majority of cases, still largely indistinguishable from, uh, I guess, traditional games, in that they've effectively just replaced their storefront which and I don't want to I don't want to diminish that too much. I mean, I think that's important and it's exciting to see uh you know blockchain becoming the storefront for game assets rather than something like Steam or Epic or or what have you other other game ecosystem stores. Um I think that's cool, but I think it falls short of like where we should be going and that's you know building these these worlds, these games in a in a truly decentralized way
1: <coughs>
3: where you know it's not a a single developer that maintains control of those of, of all of the utility of those nfts or or erc 20s that you purchase to play with in the game, but instead um, you know starts to become a you know community driven ecosystem um, I, I think that that's like to me that's the promise of blockchain it's how we can move forward into like, these very new uh, new types of of games that couldn't really have existed previously. Um, and I, I hope to see that more and more as it becomes easier and easier to build in that manner with these tools.
0: Yeah, and it, it seems, you know, that influence is kind of growing along with the tech. Like you said, you guys are deployed on L1, but you're also kind of optimizing or, or future-proofing and, and looking to the future. Um, like you said with with the unlock of scalability from zk roll-ups and everything like that um what other kind of difficulties are you guys finding on like being able to implement and work around these kind of restrictions that that is kind of inherent in these on-chain games in their in their late or sorry in their early kind of life cycles yeah that's a great question um
3: yeah, there's, there's absolutely restrictions and, and kind of we do get boxed in to a degree in what we can do, um, there's a fair amount of working around that. Um, but I think that one of the things that we've, we've tried to do is phase um, the release of segments of our game to kind of align with where we expect scaling to be. Um, so, like, for example, you know, we, we couldn't expect uh, when we release um, the first release of Influence Exploitation, uh, for Starknet to be able to handle, you know, near real-time transactions that would be necessary for uh, like live conflict, you know, any anything nearing Twitch-based conflict would, would just be totally not feasible uh, in, in an on-chain manner. And so what we've done is kind of phase out. Um, you know, our first release is called Exploitation. It's a bit slower paced. It's about settling asteroids, you know, mining resources, building up infrastructure. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be based on, on a blockchain that can handle, you know, sub-second block times. Um, subsequent, subsequent to that, we're going to be releasing discovery and then ultimately conflict uh, with the intention of growing with the, the scalability of, of StarkNet over time um, when it will be able to, whether it's on L2 StarkNet or potentially on an L3 That sits on top of Starknet. You know that would be our goal to really grow along with it, Um, and uh, you know I think so far that's working well. Um, But certainly, like there have been, I have been discussing on a near weekly basis with the Starkware team about our needs. um, You know what what needs to be in place for us to be able to release uh, exploitation. They have, to their credit, been very responsive. Um, and have been kind of continuing to clear away blockers for us as we've been building. Um, I'm sure blockers for others as well. Uh, so it, it's you're right. You know, we're we're very much building. You know, in, in the same sort of pacing as the the infrastructure is as a whole, and it presents challenges. But I think it's also exciting because it gives us the ability to at least somewhat shape the direction, which is a, a pretty cool opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, and
2: another, another aspect of that um yeah i I think you know all the time like when i'm I'm working as a game designer for for influence and you know a lot of the time i'll come up with or or modify or improve some game mechanic and then we go to implement it we go to write it up in in cairo you know smart contracts and there's a reason we can't do it which is gas costs like we'll we'll you know code something up and and see oh that's actually not going to scale to the you know of money that we want this transaction to cost for the average player so that's, that's definitely one of the areas that we're limited in, you know, what, what kinds of mechanics, like something you could do on a, a conventional server, you know, or in a client, really trivially, you know, just a certain amount of computation or certain, you know, technique of storing different values for later, like something that would scale really easily. In a centralized system just doesn't yet on-chain scale in that way. And so we've had to modify mechanics, or sort of change them to be more efficient um, with, with what we're building on today. But the, the trend is clear, like, you, you can look at, you know, how storage costs are going down, how transaction costs are, you know, slowly going down, like, it'll be, you know, all month at some point, like, that clearly will allow us to do what we, anything we want to do at some point in the future. But it's just like right now, we're at that sort of awkward st- stage where, you know, the scaling isn't quite there yet. And so we have to base our mechanics, which will exist forever, we have to base those mechanics now off of, you know, the limitations that we have to work with today. You know, and, and to some extent, there's a little bit of like, you know, looking where the ball's going to be rather than where we're currently at, you know, and sort of saying, okay, maybe this is a little bit too expensive right now, but like, you know, early early adopters can afford this and then the cost will go down quickly enough that everyone will be able to afford it soon. So there's certainly some extent of that kind of decision making, but, you know, broadly speaking, we, ha- we do have to still pay attention to like execution costs and storage costs um, as part of smart contract coding. Another thing that actually your question made me think of was, um, you know, sort of read versus write decentralization. I think that's probably an interesting, interesting area that we're, you know making decisions about how the game functions, you know, in in a centralized manner, like currently we've got it so that every game action that you take, you actually sign a transaction with your wallet and then that goes to StarkNet and, you know, modifies the state of the chain, you know, and what we don't do, however, is we don't have the game client reading everything directly off of StarkNet. It's not, you know, reading all those change states and events directly from the chain, it's reading them from a centralized server. And so we have this sort of asymmetry where the, the writes are decentralized completely through your wallet and the reads are somewhat centralized still. And the reason for that is efficiency. Um, you know, for example, like we, our biggest asteroid has like 1.7 million like pieces of land on it that you can build on. Um, and your client needs to render that in you know, a fraction of a second to be able to, to load all that up and then see like what's built where on that asteroid. And there's just no way whatsoever right now for you to be able to read all that off of the, the events on the chain from over the past however many years the game has been running. You know that that just doesn't work. Um, you have to index it. You have to go through and you know have a system that is watching the chain for a long time and slowly building up this you know efficient way to serve that data. And so the current solution that we have is is a centralized server. And of course we want to decentralize that. We want to to build you know a, a decentralized version of that server that that will be able to be run as a node you know on on various people's you know yeah. servers somewhere. Um, but for the time being we have to we have to start sort of with what we you know work with what we've got and and that means you know a traditional centralized server for the read side but the write side is decentralized and i think that's, that's what we're really excited about
0: wow well, yeah i'd imagine you're pretty much pioneering that that path to not just for, for influence but for the whole space i imagine we'll definitely be taking a page out of your book once you guys have
2: implemented that that plan of a decentralized read side as well yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a number of different cases where, you know, some, some idea that we've come up with has actually turned out to be kind of, you know, a good solution to a problem that a lot of people work building these kinds of games, you know, want want to try. One example being session wallets. if you want to talk about that, Chris.
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so there was, um, uh, I think, like, last, maybe a year and a bit ago, uh, it was like Friday, I, mean, I had a couple of drinks. I was just chatting with our community, and I was like, hey, what would you guys think about if, if would you ever feel comfortable with your, your key being stored in a browser such that you wouldn't have to sign transactions every time you did something in-game? And I was kind of thinking like a little bit further down the road when, uh, when those transactions would be much faster. Um, maybe even if you consider, you know, close to real-time conflict, you certainly wouldn't want you know, Archenex or MetaMask or whatever popping up saying, hey, can you sign this transaction? Um, and uh, it started kind of getting the ball rolling on a conversation about what ended up being called Session Keys. Um, and uh, what, what actually happened is we had a conversation um, with one of the other handful of, of truly on-chain games, uh, which is Loot Realms. Uh, I was chatting with, with those guys, who, and we chat fairly regularly. Um, and they ended up going to one of the Starknet hackathons, uh, and along with a couple of the other on-chain game uh, team members, um, built sort of the first prototype for uh, for session keys with uh, with ArgentX. Um, and I think it's a it's a super ex- exciting concept. Basically, it gives gives you uh, the you know the owner of the wallet the power to choose um, a set of transactions that you are comfortable with the um, the application signing on your behalf, um, and so you could imagine, uh, in the case of influence, you might say, "I'm cool with the wallet signing. Um, you know, anything that doesn't touch my core assets. So any transaction that doesn't deal with transferring my asteroid or transferring, um, you know, my my crewmates or my crew." I'm fine with it can do everything else in game. And so then at that point, you'd be able to, to trade on the market. You'd be able to build buildings. You could mine all that could happen without ever being taken out of the immersive experience. You'd never have a a wallet pop up. None of that would occur, Um, but all of your actions would still be on chain. And I I think it's like a a huge UX improvement. Um, And it's something we're working on with both our who has already implemented this, this plugin, in uh, as sort of an experimental feature, uh, as well as with the cartridge team, um, which is doing things in a slightly different way, but also a very very similar concept. Um, so we're really hopeful that now, um, you know, things have moved along really quickly. As of our launch, people won't need to experience that sort of UX pain of constantly having to sign transactions. So I think it's it's really exciting and a, and a great example, Interweber, like you said, of kind of like how we're helping to shape the space, how we're getting to help shape the space, which is really, really cool.
0: Okay. So just to double-click on that, is it creating a numerous, like, multiple uh, temporary wallets, or is that just giving temporary access to that wallet? Or is it, is it spinning up a new address for each session of the game that you play? Uh, it
3: is, yeah. So it actually it cre- creates a temporary key, Um, and that key is able to sign, uh, sign transactions. And what happens, and this is, this is due to account abstraction because every account is a smart contract and can have any set of arbitrary logic in it now on Starknet, um, and potentially on, on Ethereum when, when that EIP comes along. Um, basically what, what ArgenX has done is they've modified the account contract such that you send it a set of transactions you are okay with being signed by this temporary key. Um, so the key will will locally in the client sign a transaction, let's say to build a warehouse and um, that gets submitted to your account contract on chain and it will check the plugin's logic checks that that's one of the allowed transaction signatures um, and then it goes ahead and, and signs uh, Signs that transaction and executes
2: it on chain. I have to think of this as sort of like a, a middle ground between a cold wallet and a hot wallet. You know, it has some of the nice convenience properties of a hot wallet where you can, you know, do things without having to dig up your cold wallet or you know, or even in this case, sign anything at all visually. Um, but it has some security properties of a cold wallet where you're not just letting everybody who can get your key off of that computer, you know, have access to absolutely everything on your, on your address. It's a limited, ah. sort of like a sandboxed section of what you can sign um, from that address. And okay, it Goes I away as soon as you're done with the session. It gets wiped. You know, so so it's the key is on your computer, but then it gets thrown away after the session, and it only has limited access to your assets. Okay, so it
0: it's a approach to compartmentalize. Um, I guess the whether the economic damage that could happen from a hack or even just um. Uh, getting carried away i guess something like that to where you could end up spending more than you wanted to in a game so you it sounds like you can kind of give yourself um like an allowance or sort of like a this is my budget for today and then it it kind of removes those decisions that you have to make in the heat of the moment
2: when you're kind of in the zone i guess you could say yeah, there's a couple of ways to do it. It's, you could know, have specific transactions, as, as Chris was talking about, that you can limit it to or you could limit it to a certain number, of, you know, certain amounts of assets that you want to be able to spend sort of like, you know, current approvals work. Uh, but then quickly, like once you're done, the session gets closed out and that thing can never do anything again. So if somebody hacked her key and then, you know, gets to it a day later, like it's too late, that key's like gone, you know, it's just, just for that time you're playing. Okay,
4: very cool. Yeah, um, to expand on that, just to give kind of a practical example, because every game is going to be a little different, but in Influence, you know, you might want a session to be able to allow you to, you know, drill into the surface of your asteroid, take core samples, you want it to allow you to mine, you want it to allow you to transfer materials from a warehouse to another warehouse, Um, however, you probably don't want it to be able to sell your asteroid or your crewmates because those are kind of like your main Uh, bread and butter that allow you to play and and, you know uh, have fun in this game and so your session wallet would simply just you know say these things aren't allowed where these other things are allowed so I think it's a good way to protect users uh, from for particular things uh, like Interweaver had said uh, while allowing you to you know have fun and play quickly without having to approve transactions.
0: I see. And and kind of like he said, also just keep that immersive feeling going on while you're experiencing the the influence. Game.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and just one more thing to add. It's like, you know, I think as we move through the future, like right now we're still in this flux state of like mm. blockchain is still kind of in the foreground of these games and, and we're still trying to get it in the background. And so there's obviously going to be some time where we, we, you know, have to figure that out. But let's say 18 months from now, and we have all these tools and and the games up and running, we're all having fun, you know, new gamers coming in, don't, we don't even want them to think that blockchain is here. Like, unless they're digging through the wiki or reading something, like they could just have fun. Like that, I think that's really the core of it is, is just put the game first. All the tech in the back and 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 that's the more that we go down this road the more tools that we have access to uh, the more enjoyable the experience will be uh we just happen to be kind of at the bleeding edge here and, and we're you know uh, blazing trails that other people will be able to just simply integrate early on in their development cycle yeah and i think it's actually kind of interesting you know as a, as a, a ui
3: manifestation of this um we are about to uh, for, for this public test that we have starting next Wednesday. The um, UI is going to change such that when you're playing the game, you won't see your wallet account up at all anymore. You know, your typical, like, logged-in wallet at the top right. We're moving that now into only the login page. And we really want people to sort of just focus on playing. Once you've connected your wallet, given the permissions you're comfortable with, you shouldn't, you shouldn't need to worry about it anymore. And um, so we're trying to de-emphasize you know that, that piece of it. but while still providing the ability for somebody who's net new to blockchain to kind of progressively enhance their um, uh, blockchain accessibility, I guess. you know all, all of these options, all of these login options, log connection options. They can all ultimately be used to do uh whatever, you know, if if you wanted to start by flying influence and then ultimately get into DeFi and buy an EVM or um you know jump on a Uniswap, like that that can and I think should all be possible. And we're trying to to build such that it always will be.
1: Yeah, that's quite exciting. Like you said, the bleeding edge. Um okay, so
0: now Let's dive into, we're talking about session wallets and and accounts, um, and that that all has to do with, because Influence is a a player-owned open economy, Um, so
1: what exactly does that mean for a player? So I think um, as far as being
3: player-owned, well, let me let me split those up. Um, first of all, as as an open economy, what that means to us is that um, first of all, your assets are all on chain. You don't have to worry about anybody else custodying them; they're yours. You control them. If you want to take your asteroid and sell it, you can. If you want to take your asteroid and move it to L one, you can. If You want to put it on a hardware wallet? Go for it. Um, you know, if you want to put it on auction, any of those ERC seven twenty one compatible tools that exist out there you can do it. Same with Sway, which, which is our soon, uh, well, yet to be released, uh, ERC-20, um, that will power the in-game economy. Same deal there, if you wanted to create a Uniswap you know, pool with your, with your Sway, you can do that. Like all, the, all these assets are yours. Um, they exist initially to, um, to power the game, and that's going to be their, their primary utility. But if there are other ways you wanted to use it, and this is up to and including somebody else wants to build a game that utilizes the same assets. You know, if that's the case, fine. You know, go for it. Um, so I, I think that that sort of you know self-custodying ownership of assets does make it truly
1: an open economy. Um, that you know I think is is really exciting. Um, the other part, you know, I think about being
3: like player-owned, community-operated. I think what that means is that you know, we have our start as a centralized studio. We will be centralized initially to allow us to, to kind of roll out these, these releases, upgrade the game as is necessary. But the intention is over time for the game to be decentralized such that the community uh, owns and operates it effectively. Um, and if that means that we are retained long-term as, as a developer, great. Uh, if it means that the community wants to go a different way, also great. Um, if they want to some some segment of the community wanted to fork influence into some other uh, type of game, that would also be fine. Um, I think it's all about like how do we how do we give the ownership and the ability for the community to
1: keep a world, a universe that they hopefully will love alive for as long as they want to. I really love the uh,
0: community-minded approach you all have taken. Um, like you said, you've done like phased rollouts, and I imagine another byproduct of that is is getting the feedback for that particular phase from the people playing it. And then being able to kind of sidestep or pivot or whatever kind of solution might might bring itself to the surface that you probably didn't see or think about until you actually got that feedback and had that phase rolled out so that people could get their kind of hands on the game and experience. Yeah, I mean,
2: the role of the community in this game is really pretty exceptional. I mean, I I started out as just a playing community member myself and you know, ended up on the team. But it's, it, you know, you as a community member really have a lot of feedback. Um, I think, you know, traditional game development really happens behind closed doors like it, it sort of is this vision that somebody has and then they hire people to build it and then they release it and then, and then people get to try it and for us like almost every idea is out there as soon as we think of it and you know have, have sort of polished it up a little bit just so that it makes sense to, to share it but you know people can give their feedback right away on that kind of thing and I think that's really helped us build a better game as a result. I mean, there's been many ideas that we had that, you know, somebody found a hole with, and, you know, we we might not necessarily have found that ourselves if, you know, if somebody hadn't brought it to our attention. I think that's that's a really you know powerful vision to have this sort of open open game that the community can can feed back into. And that also applies from a technical perspective too. Like we have um, a, a number of you know sort of websites and, and sort of third party tools that people are building around around the game. Um, you know, there's already probably ten or twelve different like sites that people have built that actually have like really valuable you know sort of additional widgets and tools out them understand like what's going on in the game and some of those are integrated with our smart contracts like that's really a a pretty exciting direction because you know we're we're on chain that information is out there you know it's like a public server it's like an open source server basically that people can access that data and do whatever they want with and even to the point of you know submitting transactions if they want to if they you know if they want to let somebody take that take that risk of of using somebody else's site to interact with the game um so it's it's really this sort of extensible open open even now even as we are from a centralized studio building like it's, it's already open in a way that most games would not be
4: yeah um, Very cool. And, and to you know expand on that community side you know i think for a game that is labeled as unstoppable and it's fully on chain and we really are you know putting the community at the core of this um we have to build out you know in the open we have to share things along the way um and, and this is not just because, you know, this is what we said we're going to do, but it's because we need to basically get, you know, community members up up to speed and and teach them kind of what we're doing and show them what's possible. And and like Interweaver is saying, you know, eventually they can, you know, take it over from there. They can build third-party projects, uh, which have been incredible, by the way. Like, we have some pretty cool stuff uh, that's already been built. Um, But, you know, if, if we... If we look, you know, in, in the future here, you know, influence, let's say, is launched um, and we have this this community that's already been part of it, I think there's a lot more life there initially um, than if we build kind of in the AAA uh, realm, which is basically high marketing dollars and behind closed doors and hope for a really strong release. Just And, and that's like kind of their make or break moment. Um, and, and I don't really like that for blockchain gaming yet it's too early in the development cycle of these games i think communities are a huge huge part of this and and to bring them in early is is vital Uh, and and i'm excited to see where they take it uh, afterwards so you know i think if, if we look down the road how community will really affect this game you know I, I know chris probably has some thoughts here but we have our release of conflict that still needs to come out before we really hand over the the keys to the castle but by that time i'm hoping there's very very um interesting products out there to help us build DAOs uh, easier and and to be able to like very much integrate tools for them and they're loosely there now but like everything at first it kind of scatters everywhere so you'd probably have to integrate 10 different products to really do what you want whereas later down the road we'll probably have a fully decentralized like Dow maker that has every bell and whistle that we could possibly want to ensure that a game of of you know this size and, and what we hope it will achieve can be managed by the community. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's fun to be here right now because we, again, get to have some say in where, that, where this, you know, goes. Um, so super, super excited about that.
1: My hope is that ultimately we aren't talking about third-party tools and the first-party client, but instead
3: just have an array of ways to interact with, with Influence. They're just all sort of considered the same. I mean, I would love to see multiple different game clients for, for influence. It'd be pretty amazing.
2: Right. I mean, there's this sort of distinction of like, you know, something that's canonical or first party and something that's, you know, sort of made by somebody else, a third party thing. And the fact that we have our core contracts on chain, and you know, if somebody else builds a contract that can interface with those, then that's just as on chain as our core contract. You know, it's, it's just as canonical, you know, and, Think that that's really sort of a you know it's like a game where you can mod the server, you know, is really what it comes down to. But, you know, there's certain contracts that are core of the game that you can't you can't just change to, you know, break the game mechanics like those are those are still there. Like it's not like you can infinitely mod it, but you know, you can extend it in a way that you really couldn't with a a normal centralized server. Yeah. I mean like it's it's a little contrived, but like
3: you could you could very easily uh make a little mini game where you could like have two crews fight each other and the winner you know, wins one of the their crewmates or something like that would be a little mini game that could easily exist. Um, and and there are so many possibilities like that out there um, that could just directly integrate with influence. Uh, I think the
2: idea of that is incredibly exciting. Isn't there somebody who's actually building that? I, I thought there might have been
4: Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say one of our uh, longtime community members is actually uh, building, or at least. Uh, they, they were a while ago. I uh, don't know where it is in the development cycle. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of a plan to have kind of an auto battler between crews. Okay. So um, now I'm back trust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something too, that I think is interesting, Chris, that you, or, you know, Darius, that uh, you just mentioned here is, is, you know, the, these different mm, games that could be built in the influence world, Uh, you know during the bull market the the term metaverse was just like overused and everyone's kind of almost sick of it it's like eating too much candy no one likes that word anymore um it's i don't think you can like force a metaverse uh, in how like most people would think about it in in this space uh, to exist you can't be like here it is do it it's like kind of got to come from within so you you start off with one thing and you just have an avid community that enjoys it and wants to build more. And, and I think that's the way to go about it versus like trying to be like, everyone build all these things for this world now before this world really has any strong community behind it. And, and so I'm excited to kind of get back to the, the roots of like, no, we're gonna make fun, successful, unique products that have incredible communities and then see what they do with it. Yeah, that's a great point about you know, sort of bringing up the word metaverse. I mean, I'll
2: steer away from using it, but what we're seeing with this game is really a, a very blurred line between people who are making the game, the people who are playing the game, game, What you know, what is part of the game, what isn't part of the game. Like, those lines are really starting to blur because we're taking down those, those centralization sort of walled garden boundaries that have traditionally existed around any kind of game like this. We're letting, you know, people play this game and interact with this game that would never have had a chance otherwise, you know, and I think I think that starts to sort of, bl- it all starts to blur together, and, and if you want to call that a metaverse, that might not be a, a bad word for it.
0: Well, what's interesting is that, along with like you said people who played Eve and some other games are really going to resonate with influence um but also what you guys are doing is kind of marrying in this also this other community of astronomy lovers and because this is all like real data and and ex- existing asteroids that you guys are pulling information from can you uh kind of explain a little bit about that aspect of it and
3: and yeah so who you're- so they're not
0: the the one
3: point of clarification is that they're not, this isn't a real star system, <clears throat> but the asteroid belt is um, heavily inspired by realism, by our asteroid belt and how it's composed. Um, so, you know, if you take a look at it, you'll see that it has, um, you know, multiple different spectral types, which kind of uh, define, you know, the resources that exist in them. And they're distributed differently throughout the belt. You'll find these, um these two sections, which are uh, at least in our solar system referred to as Trojan asteroids because they they exist in two distinct groups orbiting with Jupiter. Um, in our case, they orbit with a, a gas giant that is in the Adelia system. Um, and I think that the biggest thing, and, and this is one of the things that purely speaking about influences a game, I think is one of the most unique aspects um, is that they all orbit independently with realistic orbital elements. Um, and this is something that you'll, you'll see in Kerbal Space Program. You'll see in Kerbal Space Program 2, which comes out next month. Um, but outside of that, it's very rare that you see that even in a single-player game where the, the orbits are, are realistically simulated. Um, in our case, they are... All 250,000 of the asteroids are realistically simulated in 24x real-time, and everybody plays in that same environment. So it creates this really cool, like, dynamically changing strategic landscape. Like, it's always different. Anytime you log in, it, it's going to be different. Asteroids are going to be in different positions relative to each other. Um, and I think that adds, like, a, a, a lot of interest, certainly for, for people who are already into astronomy, but also just from a, a gameplay perspective. Um, I'm sure, sh- I'm sure Andrew Weaver will have a lot to
2: say on, on astronomy and <laughs> so. Andrew Weaver has unmuted, yeah. Um, no, I, I was just actually gonna jump in just like a, a really interesting technical point that might actually, you know, some of you might be wondering, is like how can you possibly simulate 250,000 asteroids in real time or 24 times real time on a blockchain? Like how is that even possible? And the answer there is that um, there's sort of a dis- distinction between like implicit versus explicit simulation of things. I mean, like an explicit simulation would be like every, you know, every second or every tenth of a second or whatever, you'd update all the locations of all those asteroids on, you know, on your server or whatever. And, you know, that would take a lot of processing power and it would continually be be updated. And, you know, that's the explicit model. And then we have an implicit model where it's like, here's the orbital elements of each asteroid, which are the the six numbers that sort of dictate where that asteroid is at any point in time. And those are on-chain. What isn't on-chain is the actual current position, but you can you calculate that for any asteroid you care about in the client, you know, on, on the front end very easily, very quickly. Um, so that's sort of how we do it. And that's actually the case for almost all of our state in-game is that you know, we'll, we'll have an action that starts something in the game and a uh, transaction that starts something in the game, and then the current state of it as it's progressing is implicit. Like the, you know, you can you can figure out where it's at in that process externally just based on the information that was saved at the beginning. And then we finalize it at the end and that finishes the action. And then you know you can move on and do other things at that point. Um, But we're not continually updating all the different things that are changing and moving in the game at every second. We're just having a starting and ending point or or in the case of asteroids, just a starting point that sort of sort of sets like where they're where they're located. And that's that's all, you know. So it's much more efficient and and that's how we can do it on, on chain. As far as astronomy is concerned, yeah, you know, I mean, this kind of game is just like a complete, you know, so much fun to play with as somebody who really is into astronomy. Like, there's, you know, I think our audience um, of people who are really into this sort of hard science fiction type of game, where where every every product in the production chains that we have in the game is a real sort of chemical reaction or a real factory process. You know, every every spectral type is at least modeled on a, a real spectral type for an asteroid. Like those are all sort of, we're pulling that from, from reality, from real life. I feel like the kind of people who enjoy those kinds of games are actually pretty aligned, with sort of the, the, on-chain, you know, blockchain, Ethereum kind of people too. Like there's this really interesting sort of, you know, crossover, I think that at least certainly brought me in, into the, into the game. And I think, you know, definitely some of our other, our other community members too, are have that sort of same, you know, appreciation for reality and for sort of like there being a one one real truth underneath everything which i think both astronomy and ethereum and blockchain sort of get at in different from different directions so yeah i think it's a, it's a great
1: combination
0: you kind of touched on uh what kind of computation is on chain and off chain can we kind of just unpack the difference between uh, what would be, like, a weekly on-chain game and a strongly on-chain game, and maybe the pros and cons to, like, w- what you guys used on your approach? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So
3: um, I think a, a weekly on-chain game, I guess there are, there are a variety. It's a spectrum, of course. Um, you know, they, they would range all the way, uh, I think, down to... Uh, you as a player buy an NFT or some some token. Um, a centralized server picks up that event, stores that you identified, probably by an email address associated to your on-chain address. Own that token, and now you can use it in game. Um, and in that game, being a centralized client, centralized server, I think that's probably the most weekly on-chain. Uh, type of game that exists, probably also the majority of them right now. Uh, and then you can kind of move up the spectrum um, where you might have like an auto-battler, where all the battle itself takes place off-chain, com- computed in client, on-server potentially, but then the results are, are committed on-chain. Um, that, that can be interesting as well. I think that there's some interesting use cases there with kind of having that History of of matches and leaderboards that could potentially be fully on chain, um, and then I think for us, you know, we we are in the in the place where, where all game state is on chain. Um, so, like interviewer we said, in a lot of cases, and this is one of the one of the places where we have, I think, needed to work around the way the blockchain works, potentially also the the gas costs that exist at the moment Um, you know we we've set things up such that all the state that needs to be there for us to be able to calculate the uh let's say human readable state in the client exists on chain Um, and so what we've done is is in large part mirrored the logic that sits on chain that's responsible for validating all the inputs we've replicated that into uh, an sdk Basically, a set of tools that anybody in the community can use, but we also use for our client uh, and server, um, and that logic then can run in the scope of somebody's game client to basically grab all the data that exists on chain, compute how the world should look based on that, and then display it to the user. Um, and that what that really does is then it gives the player the ability to just you know use that visual input to generate via the client a transaction that will be appropriately validated on-chain. Um, so it's, you know, it's, not, it's not the case where everything, all of the game state that is on-chain, is what I would call human-readable. But it's, it's close enough, and we have tools enough release that uh, anybody with a little bit of, of coding knowledge can very
1: quickly turn everything that is on-chain, all the state that exists on-chain for the game, into... Uh, very human-readable state. Um, You know, as for for the benefits of that, I think
3: that kind of touches again on player ownership, open economy, you know, having it on state means that any contract can interact with it. Um, You know, any contract can submit a transaction that is valid and modify the game state. And I think that opens up just an incredible number of possibilities um that we've really only scratched the surface of i mean we're gonna we are inevitably going to see um contracts created that manage alliances in game uh you know special permissions that certain alliances want to come up with we're going to see contracts that govern you know hey i want you to deliver these goods from a to b uh, uh maybe in a different way than the deliveries that will ultimately bake into the game. Different conditions. We'll see um, contracts that govern leasing some of the lots that exist on the surfaces of the asteroids, uh, leasing them with special conditions. So I, I think I think that's the true benefit, and I think that's that's a benefit that you can't really get from
1: the more weekly on-chain models.
0: Okay, so it sounds like. Um where the lo- the game logic is settled basically decides the 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 strength or weakness of like all, where you fall on the spectrum
1: yeah i think that's fair i think it's i think the spectrum would be the the maybe the level of granularity of of game
3: state that is settled on chain you know strongly on chain to me means that you can you can entirely recreate the state of the game Mm. with data that exists on-chain. You know, down to the weakest on-chain, you can't really construct any of the state except for ownership of a couple of assets. But even then, the game itself can't even modify the ownership of the assets typically. Um,
1: And then there's kind of everything in the middle where you can possibly recreate some of the game's state, but not all of it. Gotcha. So then, I mean, just being
0: on the blockchain itself, like being transparent and public with access, you know, anyone can access and look if if they know how to use the tools. How do you guys kind of go about, can you explain like what back running is? and, like, why and how it would apply, like, in gaming and, like, how you guys are kind of
1: going about your solution to that. Just, like, backgrounding as a sort of MEV concept and how it would play the game? Yeah, exactly. Um, because,
0: you know, if, if, it, if everything is transparent and and. I'm looking on chain and I know how to kind of read what's going on. Is there a way that I have an advantage and I can kind of, kind of
2: tail back what he like said, uh, the MEV opportunities. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really interesting question, actually. Um, I mean, I think perhaps the, the place to start is sort of our thoughts about you know, how, how botting might work on, in this game because that transcends eventually into MEV if you automate enough of it. Um, I think the way that we've been thinking about botting specifically is that since we have, you know, it's all on-chain, the, the, the you know contracts can be written to directly by anybody who has access to you know, a node on, on Starknet. Um, you know, we expect people to run automated players, you know, which you could call a bot, you could call an NPC. Um there's sort of an interesting, you know, like duality there that I think, you know, you play a game and some some of the people around you are real, some of them are some of them are automatic. Um, you know, I think it'll be a pretty interesting mix there. Um but as far as like actual MEV, um yes, you know, in as much as this is an on-chain game and in as much as there will be arbitrage opportunities, um, you know, I I think Starknet will probably have some some posture related to point running that they they might attempt to prevent, but as far as back running is concerned, you know, that's, that's all part of, you know, sort of an open economy where arbitrage opportunities are created by certain actions that people will take. Um, One, and and then, you know, an automated system can detect those opportunities and then go back in and and create transactions that will, you know, profit off of them. One really interesting aspect though of our game is that, you know, most of the resources in the game are actually location-based. So, you know, if you you have you know a certain set of materials on an asteroid you know you can't trade them with somebody else who's on a different asteroid that has those same materials like they they aren't fungible like they're only fungible on that same asteroid so i think you know that that MEV bot would actually have to figure out how to get those materials onto a ship fly them into another asteroid and then sell them on the marketplace there you know and if that bot can do that then you know welcome (laughs) like that's a great fpc more power to them exactly okay
0: okay so it's it's open and i guess not encouraged but just uh it's
2: just a reality yep i mean i think you know there will be some automation platforms that players create that they can take advantage of and you know so you can automate what parts of the game that you want and you know play the parts that you still find fun you know the sort of balance that everyone finds that you know what kind of game do they want to play and they'll be able to play that game yeah and
3: i think until we implement hidden knowledge which which is a which yeah, is on our roadmap. That actually, um, brought this, me to my next question. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, please. Sorry, go on. It's certainly on our roadmap for conflict. I think it's hundred uh, percent necessary there. Um, but until then, uh, you know, I, I think one of our, our strategies for coping with that is really just to make sure that uh, as much of that state is viewable and readable and easily consumable for all players, so that it's you know we're not necessarily giving a uh, undue advantage to people who can you know, read the read the data on chain, but rather just saying here it is, everybody can see it. Um but yeah, I mean as as we as we reach towards conflict, hidden knowledge becomes obviously more and more important. Um and so that's something that we're we'll be gearing up for, you know, implementing uh zero knowledge on a zero knowledge roll-up. Different things. Um but uh that's certainly going to come up for us and you know we'll we'll be at that point standing on the shoulders of Games like Dark Forest and others that have implemented that sort of zero knowledge, uh, zero knowledge proofs that we'll need to take advantage of as well to do things like hide uh, the types of guns that are that are on your ship, or hide the hide the what you're storing in your ship, or ultimately hiding what you're storing in your warehouse. Because you know, long term, I think that those would all make for a much more interesting uh, strategic environment than having this perfect knowledge that
0: we have today. Okay, so it's kind of not showing your hand before you can play it. Yes. Yeah, we're,
3: we're, we're making some... You know, at that point, I think we have a lot more freedom uh, with mechanics. We're not as constrained. Uh, we are still making some decisions just purely you know, based on, again, reality, the gameplay we'd like to see. Uh, one of those examples is that, like, all the ships will be visible. You'll still be able to see where people are going, but you'll have less than perfect knowledge depending on your skills and your technologies you'll have less than perfect knowledge of you know, what that ship is who owns it what's in it what types of guns are on it etc which i think should make for a really
1: fun kind of uh positioning oriented game when it comes to um conflict okay yeah kind yeah, the- of oh sorry uh-huh.
4: go on that I just um I had a community member show me something pretty interesting the other day, which was like a three d chess game that you could put objects in the middle like an asteroid, using it uh, as like kind of the area of combat and and you know taking these actions and each ship being loaded up into this and and taking, you know depending on the weapons and things like that, which is not in real time. You know, you can take these moves. and so I think there might be, Um, ability again for kind of a third party battler within influence that comes even before you know blockchain scales to the point where we can get conflict out and have real time you know ships moving around so uh, i think it's going to be very interesting to see how games develop um, more close to real-time, <laughs> but if anyone, anyone says, like, hey, we're making a first-person shooter fully on-chain, uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe them yet, so <laughs> <laughs> there's still a ways to go.
0: Now, I kind of want to shift to, like, the bigger picture, kind of, we talked a little bit about onboarding for a lack of a better term we'll just keep using it um but you guys really seem to have a bit of a a trojan horse kind of opportunity to not just educate but uh provide community and uh just a a fun interactive game to go along with it all and you guys have really kind of packaged it all up and uh, w- what does that kind of mean to you and 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 is this kind of the exact vision that you guys saw yourself on when you started the game, or uh, or what kind of things have kind of changed along with with the mission that you started
1: with? Let's let's start with uh, Darkos. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we are still quite mission
3: driven. Um, I mean, I'll say even to the point where uh, you know, we were so cognizant of the effects that, that venture capital can have on, on in-game tokens that uh, while there was a lot of interest in, in arrays um, from the, the possible partners we spoke with, we ultimately declined. Um, when was that? Last year sometime. Um, or over a year ago now. Uh, because I think that it was, we were concerned about how it was going to potentially impact um, the community, the health of the game, et cetera. Uh, so I, th- I think we've we've stayed quite mission driven. We have a pretty consistent vision about like we, we want to become this this like truly you know, decentralized, community driven uh, game or, or universe, really metaverse, I guess. Um, over time, that uh, you know the core of the core of the studio is, is being able to turn over control fully to a game and, and allow it to be run. Either with or without us. Um, so I think I think we're still really on course there. I think that th- honestly, the thing that has surprised me the most is, um, and maybe it shouldn't have. Maybe it's, it was a little naive to expect to, the technology to progress faster than it did. Um, but I guess the opportunity—it's the opportunity that we've kind of been given to help shape, um, you know, how things develop. Like we we are much more building on the bleeding edge of of StarkNet, you know, L2s, EIPs that are, that are, you know, early to come out, um, assuming StarkNet uses EIP 4844, we'll probably have transactions in some of the first blobs. Um, so like all of that is really exciting. And I guess it has, um, caused us to be uh, a little bit more public and vocal proponents of the, the ecosystem as a whole. Um, because you know, that, the ecosystem success, uh, is our success? Um, it's not like the ecosystem is, is fully successful and, and adopted already, and we're coming into a new one. So yeah, I think I think that we have become, uh, you know, almost almost like publicly lobbying for the success of this ecosystem as a whole, and I, I think that has been exciting. Um, but admittedly, it does also uh, slow things down a little bit. So opportunities there, but also some some drawbacks. Um, but I think it's net net a big positive that we're we're able to really help to to drive things forward, help to um, I think in large part help to pull an ecosystem that is largely developers and developer focused and pull them to kind of out of sometimes what becomes a bubble and have them look at like, hey, we have these large communities of people who are willing to play. Uh, in fact, in our first, um, our first release, I, I think that we did a survey and Ethereum, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think something like 50% of our first um, sale, uh, the participants were totally new to blockchain. So like, we, we have this real ability to kind of be that trodden horse, like you said. Um, and I think we are taking that. Um, Role
4: more and more seriously as we grow. Yeah, that's a good one. And I can, I can just, you know, piggyback off that, um, in terms of community and things, uh, of that nature for, for influence and, and just generally, uh, where we're at in blockchain, uh, trying to create this game, um, for a game sake, you know, this is supposed to be fun. Uh, we want lots of players enjoying this game and, you know, there have definitely been moments where you, you can see community being like, well, when is it going to happen and things like that. And, and, yeah, so there have been some drawbacks to, like, kind of the slowness of, of this technology rolling out, but it's also given us the opportunity to involve the community more uh, with kind of how we're building it, like Interweaver was talking about earlier, with, with kind of the mechanics and logic of these actions that we're taking. You know, we can get feedback from our community uh, a little bit easier without having to rush this out the door. Um, and so it's been a lot of fun. I like to involve the community heavily as much as we can um, with with these types of decisions and also try to encourage, you know, positive and, and fun interactions within our, our you know, um, social spaces and i think sometimes the line gets a little blurry and i'm excited for the time where we can have like two separate chats where it's like technical chat and gameplay chat uh, and that's coming very soon you know with our our opening here in 20 on the 25th of january uh, is going to be pretty like pivotal for us to now have the these conversations involve oh what are you doing on your asteroid why did you build this building here what minerals are you know what resources are you mining and why and starting to get that layer of like theory crafting around a game really you know jump started and then having those conversations that you know we've been having here in in kind of separate areas and that way when we get new players that are just coming in from you know let's say reddit or twitter or you know another discord channel or their friend has told them about it they don't immediately see like what's um you know what's the reason why we're using xyz chain and how do i get go eth in my bravo slash argent x wallet which like i think slows down the way the rate in which like true gamers are going to be able to just like get immersed in this world and so we definitely have some some things to you know keep going with and and like it'll improve over time but we're very close so really excited about the 25th and just being able to Kind of shift that conversation a little bit
2: yeah absolutely i mean i think your your phrase like a trojan horse is, is perfect I and mean, it kind of goes both ways actually i mean there's the the obvious direction which is that you know as the game we are you know a trojan horse for blockchain in in the broader sort of gaming space like there's so many people out there obviously who have serious doubts about this technology and what we, what's what's the point of it I think we have an opportunity here to make a fun game that they only later realize is actually built on that and realize it in the context of finding something cool they can do that they couldn't do on another game, and I'll be like, oh, okay, that actually makes sense. You know, so it's a, it's a Trojan horse in that direction, but I think it's also a Trojan horse into blockchain. I mean, you know, the space is, as as Darkos was, was saying, like full of all these people who are sort of very developer focused or finance focused. You know, they're they're sort of maintaining their their you know liquidity positions or whatever on on you know on Uniswap or wherever they're wherever at, and they're not really thinking about like what does this look like as a fun game. They're just thinking, okay, these are numbers. And I can make profit by doing this specific action and that specific action. You know, it's we're trying to bring in that more, you know, yes, fun and interesting and sort of dynamic set of, of things that you can do in a game that you, you know, only do on a very limited level in, in the sort of financial applications that we've been seeing so far. But I think, you know, GameFi really sort of binds those two worlds together. It's it's really one of the, in my mind, one of the more perfect applications for for this technology. It's just, you know, here's this set of people who have these assets that they want to interact with in very sort of specified ways that, you know, that make, make up a game, like all these mechanics make up a game together and writing, writing game mechanics into smart contracts is just feels so, you know, it's, it's such a natural thing to do. Like it, you know, it just makes so much sense. So I think, I think we're really sort of at this really interesting sort of cusp between these two different worlds and, and we're doing our best to sort of bring them together. And I think probably some
1: fireworks when they actually do come together.
2: That's exciting.
0: Yeah. I love the community, Approach it really creates this sense of of ownership and pride. You know, to to go along the journey with y'all and and see the f- see the phases and evolution of it all. It and and the learning and and like we said, the the just the community reach of, of not just into gaming or blockchain or, you know, chemistry. You know, you're also teaching a lot about chemistry and a lot about these these processes that would have to go into colonization and kind of foresight. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch, and it really brings that sense of, of pride uh, when, when you see this succeeding phase rollout you know it's like i feel a part of that so i i, I think you know the community is who's going to play the game and i really appreciate the approach to you know make it really all about them. Uh, like you guys said it's it's got to be a game first and enjoyable and then and then everything else kind of in the background is is the end state <laughs>
4: Yeah, and just to quickly add here, um, and, and this isn't meant to be like a plug for our Discord, but on Thursday, we will be kind of like showcasing the game in our Discord. Uh, Chris or Oaks will be there. and We'll just kind of be talking through the new features. So, I, I mean, if anyone here wants to actually like see the game that we've been talking about this whole time and ask the more technical questions, I think that might be a good place for it. Um, So that that definitely happens, you know, tomorrow, 11 a.m.
0: Pacific Standard Time. Cool. Yeah, very cool. And then the test net is the
1: 25th? Correct, yeah. All right, cool. All right, well, I think this is a good spot. I know we went
0: a little bit over. Um, If you guys don't have anything to add, if anybody from the audience has any questions, you could throw it up in the chat. Let me
1: take a look real quick and see if we have any. Does yeah. uh, anybody have anything to add little, or, uh, before we sign out? No, this was great. Thank you for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks for teaching us about on-chain gaming. I feel like uh, I've learned a lot and uh, I feel... I feel ready to, to dive in and, and start to actually be a part of the, the atmosphere. So thanks guys. Yeah. Thank
3: you. Thank it you. Is
0: a very small so enjoy it while it's
1: small.
0: <laughs> <Bullet>. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you guys. We'll see you next time.
1: Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks everybody.